0: Welcome to Bean Pod by Upshot, the only Upshot podcast available. My name is Blake Shaper and I'm the head roaster here. Today we'll be starting our expert interview series. This is where we'll be reaching out to professionals within the industry to speak on their jobs and experiences. Um, We believe this is a really important thing to do because these interviews give some sort of perspective on what true coffee professionalism looks like. A lot of people know there are coffee professionals out there, but like, what do their jobs actually look like? And that's the question we want to answer. This could include shop owners, farmers, importers, really anybody who spent five to 10 plus years within this industry. And today we have a pretty special guest to start out the series. Uh, We work with her pretty frequently to get new coffees in. Her name is Stacy Bosker. She's worked at a company called Sukafina as a trader in North America for a little bit now. And their entire goal is to source good coffee with heavily emphasizing the fair trade side and the relationship side. She has really treated us very well as a roastery. Um, she really hears what we, we need and she, she gives us the time and space um, to get coffee. And, and we've really enjoyed the relationship we've had with Stacey. Um, but Sukafina really cares heavily about quality, which we also at Upshot care a ton about. And they also care a lot about the ethics within the specialty coffee realm. They want to make sure that the farmers are getting paid well and that they actually know their farmers well. So she's worked in many different spaces in coffee. Um, but I think the job she has right now is very, very interesting. All right. So I'll quit talking and let me hand it over to Stacy. Here's our interview with Stacy Bosker. All righty, Stacy, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we're really excited to have you here. Um, before we get started, I just want to give our listeners. A quick understanding of what you do and give you the ability to kind of open the state for you.
1: Sure. Great. Um, so my name's is Stacey Bosker. I'm a trader on the specialty team with SukaFina Specialty in North America. Um, so basically my job is um, working with roasters and other clients just to ensure that they have the coffee that they need to be successful.
0: Yeah. Well, and we know that is a very important part of our process. And this is why we got the connection. And uh, for our listeners, just to know that, that We've been uh, buying some coffee through Sukafina, and that's how we got connected with you. And we got connected with Sukafina through Coffee Fest in Chicago. So, well, it was a good connection because it's been a good, uh, good pairing for us. Um, so a quick question for you that I think is a cool introductory into your kind of everything you do is what exactly got you into this career path? How did you first decide, like, what, what was the first steps? Was it barista or how did you get going?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because I do think um, you know everybody's kind of coffee origin story is super unique and really interesting, and, and I love all the different ways that people find themselves kind of in coffee. And I also think it's fascinating that so many people in coffee is like once you're in coffee, you never leave. You just kind of move around and do different things. <laughs> um, so I, you know, it, it's kind of hard to really go back. Um, you know, I did work in coffee shops. Um, if you kind of the first time I worked as a barista, I kind of consider myself more of a bartender at the time than a barista. Um, But like, you know, I always joke and date myself when, back when I was a barista, latte art was layering um, the drinks, (laughs) not necessarily um, the the art with the milk on the top. Um, And so that was back in the late 90s. Um, But I think as far as when I really kind of figured out that I wanted to do something in coffee when I grew up um, was in um, early 2000s, I had the opportunity to be a volunteer with Partners of the Americas. And um, if you don't know about the program, they kind of pair states in the US with countries in Latin America, I think mostly Latin America, Um, and, and at the time I was living in Vermont, and Vermont was paired with Honduras, and um, I, I was a Spanish major in college and spoke Spanish. And I you know, was the assistant manager at this little tiny roaster in Vermont. And they said, hey, you know, would you guys want to volunteer and go to Honduras and, and work with some coffee producers to learn a little bit more about like roasting and coffee quality and things. And I didn't know a lot about roasting, but I spoke Spanish. So sure. myself, along with the, the roaster at this little cafe, um, spent two weeks in Honduras, traveling around, working with different groups and you know, it was like the first time I visited a coffee farm and we actually like spent the night and slept on the farm with the family. And I just knew that I wanted to do something working with coffee farmers. Um, what that was going to look like in the future, I didn't know. And it's been a little bit of a path to get here. I've worked for roasters, I've worked in certification, and, you know, now I've kind of landed sort of in the middle, uh, working for in, in in the more kind of import export side.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, no, you yeah, kind of seems nice. that you've covered the whole spectrum from <laughs> The barista to the roaster, all the way to now you're working with importing and in origin trips. And that's kind of a, a good segue into another question of um origin trips are a pretty big part of your job in some way. Would you say that's to be true?
1: Um yes and no. I think that it's very possible to be an effective coffee professional and and not spend a ton of time traveling. But I do think that there is experience and exposure and information and learnings that you get from spending time at Origin um, really kind of digging into supply chains um, that you have to experience and that you can't um, read out of a book. Um, so I, I do I do think that the origin experience and really trying to like see see things from the perspective on the producing side is really something that's hard to to, to replicate without actually doing it. Right. So
0: And but, yeah. so you recently just got back from Columbia, correct?
1: Yes, I was in Columbia last week, actually, which and I post COVID, actually, this is only my second origin trip. Um, so it's been kind of weird right. the last few years where I used to go to Columbia every year for a very long time, at least once a year, twice a year. And so it was um, really great to be back and kind of, you know, be on the farm again and be traveling again um, after a, a long hiatus
0: yeah and so when you when you go on these trips is it i'm assuming it's directly connected to farms that you're working with buying from correct correct yeah so you go and just get a good feel for their process their farmers um because a lot of our customers probably don't our our listeners don't know too much about the farm side and that's kind of a big part of i won't even get you on just because it seems like that is a big part of your job um so in short, you got a little clip of why you think it's so important to visit these farms.
1: Yeah, I think you know, really, um, everything in coffee, as you guys probably know, you know, it, it's it's it is it's a community, um, yeah. and and I think that really the it's it's about building trust and about building relationships all along the supply chain. Like um, you know, similar with you know producers and the the folks that they're selling their coffee to, and roasters and consumers where they're buying their coffee from. I think just really feeling um a high level of confidence in those relationships and and that there's shared value in those supply chains is, is really important. And you can have conversations, you know, you can be buying something for a few years, um, but you know, you you really are just kind of taking people at their word. Um, mm-hmm. So really being able to um go down and and i think that the value of t- you know especially for farms that are very difficult to reach as many smallholder farmers are uh, for example we were visiting with a, a fair trade organic cooperative that we've been buying from for for a number of years in in tolima and it's a very remote part of the country we had to fly down to neva and then spend hours in trucks over dirt roads in order to just to get to the town where their office is and then we have to drive up to the farm so the the i think the appreciation for folks taking so much time to to make those difficult journeys um, is really valuable for the producers to to feel like they're part of something and they feel part of the supply chain. They're not just sort of anonymously dropping off their coffee. Um, and so I think to have people come and visit and ask them questions and provide them an opportunity to ask questions um, is really wonderful. We 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 stopped at a so you could just kind of see in person. One of the things that struck me about this cooperative was they were we actually got to go visit sort of a before and after situation. One of the that they were using the fair trade premiums to both improve quality so kind of helping them build better uh, more effective like milling stations at their house but then also like literally their house having better house constructs and we got to see a house that a woman lived in four years ago was literally kind of falling down like a corrugated metal roof and to see the very solid structure um, with the very clean like well ventilated kitchen that she lives in now that was you know kind of support, you know, her having that improvement was supported by the producer group she was with. Um, It really validates um, why we're doing what we're doing Mm -hmm. and to just really be able to see it with your own eyes um, and just feel Mm -hmm. a lot of confidence when people tell you about what they're doing, they are really doing it. Um, And then just one other quick story. um, We also stopped by, um, again, you know, we had a group of roasters with us um, kind of sharing experience for for different members along the supply chain. and we we stopped to visit a, a smallholder farm that's not part of a producer organization. And, you know, a lot of times people get kind of shy. They don't really want to ask you questions and, you know, really trying to say like, hey, you know, you have importers, you have exporters, you have roasters, a lot of folks here, like what questions do you have for us? And right before we left, he's like, I do actually have one question. I, I, I've heard that there's some roasters that actually want to buy coffee from a specific farm or know where their coffee's coming from. Is that true? Hmm. So the fact that he just, he didn't even, he'd heard this rumor and he didn't know if it was true that there was kind of relationships along the supply chain. Um, and he, you know, they had never had somebody come and visit them before. So for them, he was just sort of like, are you guys pulling my leg? And that was um, a good reminder that there's still a, a large portion of the industry that is disconnected um, from healthy supply chains. And, and every little bit that we do to to kind of bring them into the fold of, of more healthy supply chains, I think is is the way forward
0: yeah very well said um, and it's funny from not really funny, but the the parallel from the other side is i've I've talked with some farmers that want to know so much from the roasting side like i don't I know all from the farm side, and it's cool how when you do talk to farmers a lot of times and in, in my experience, you get that that other side they're like, well, I'm very interested in how you guys do things like I know yeah. you're interested in how we do it, so it's cool to be able to collaborate because it's coffee's love, and I think a lot of farmers will tell them a lot of times when I sit down with people that do it for a living, nonstop, like third generation farmers, that's the definition they get is coffee is love. And um, it's way more than just a drink. And it's really cool to see how um, Sukafina and other importers are are connecting in um, to those realms. I love it. Um, And in In the same realm, you have one story in particular that sticks out as one of the coolest, craziest stories you've ever had on an origin trip. I feel like that's a a good question to ask. And if not, we can, uh, we can move on to another question.
1: No, it, you know, that was, that was one that I did actually think about. Cause I'm, um, yeah, I, I'm very fortunate to have had a lot of origin experience over the year and people years. And, and people often ask me like, Oh, what's the coolest origin you've ever right. been to? And, you know, and, and, and it's hard. It's, it's almost like somebody asking like, what's your favorite coffee? Well, there's so many yeah. different factors. Depends what's what you're your in the mood for. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. What's your favorite music? Yeah, exactly. um And so, so i um I thought about that. and and I think, um For me, it's, it was a I don't know if you count it as much of like an origin experience, but again, a little bit of that for me, it kind of was evidence of that that impact of of really connecting with people to origin what it has on people. We try to tell the story without crying, because so I always cry. Um, so I was a, a part of a <laughs> this program is called the Borderlands project with um cRS and it was in um, Columbia and Hun- Colombia and Ecuador. I was on the kind of Columbia side of the project and was working with smallholders in Nariño and it was a five year program it was funded by I think the Buffett Foundation or somebody I don't even remember at the time, and um, they had a little bit of like a youth component to it to where they were like working with um, younger folks in the community and things like that to really kind of engage them and I had met this guy. super, like, we would, I think we went to a school, if I remember correctly, and we had lunch with all these kids at the school, and it was, like, an agro-based school, so it was, you know, kind of regular education, but a a lot of the learnings were all, sort of, based with, like, an agricultural setting, Um, sort of, like, the equivalent of, like, a Montessori school, but that's Mm -hmm. Mm agricultural-themed, and I remember that, you know, the, the kid was talking about, like, he had these dreams of, like, moving to Medellin and going to school and all this kind of stuff, and I was really excited to, to kind of talk to him and, and had, you know, just, you know, he was, you know, I think maybe getting ready to graduate in like a year or two. Fast forward a couple years later, and I was at an event at the SCA, the Specialty Coffee Association conference, um, and you know it was for, for the Borderlands Project, and there was different people that were there. We were at a local roastery that was engaged in the project. I don't even remember what city it was in. Um, this was a number of years ago, and the, this you know like handsome young man came up to me, and he's like, "Stacy, do you remember me?" And I was just like no i'm really sorry like and he was like "Don't you came to our school and we had this whole conversation and it clicked and he ended up like he had kind of wanted to leave coffee and like do whatever and he was like when you guys came and like had lunch with us and they like you know we're kind of talking about what you were doing and talking about the project he was like i was like so excited and he now like works for the like local exporter that was in the area that was part of the project And he like came up and gave me a big hug and was just like, I just wanted to say thank you for being an inspiration. And I just, I don't know, like that just always stuck with me that just the the slightest little conversation that you can have with somebody without really intending to it can have a really positive impact on somebody's life. And that has just always stuck with me um, for the value of just really connecting on a personal level with the people that you interact with at origin.
0: Right. In many ways, probably changed the course of his his path and and bumping into somebody like you with the passion is. That's yeah. probably what he needed which is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> and um, then to
1: see him at SCA like a couple right, years later a like big you know, event and, as like a grown up like it was super cool. Right.
0: SCA is no little league stuff. SCA is a big nope. yeah that's, that's the you know the Certified Association for Coffee so it's cool yeah. to cool to hear a story like that. Um Yeah. One one question that I I am curious about and I'm sure our listeners are as well is what are some of your biggest challenges within your job? Um because I'm sure there's a ton of them. I'm sure you're have a lot of different challenges within all the different avenues that is your job. Is there any that stick out um, right when you hear that question?
1: Um, you know, I think honestly, just navigating the economies of scale. I think that's um, a lot of my experience um, came working with larger roasters. So I had the the luxury of buying coffee at a full container load level, right. and the the ability that you have to um, make decisions and kind of have autonomy over decisions in your supply chain when you're buying full containers of coffee is night and day compared to when you are a you know smaller roaster that's just buying a pallet of coffee or a bag of coffee. Um, and so for me, that's really been the biggest challenge kind of coming from this mindset of, you know, when it comes to buying with purpose and buying with intention, um, the, you know, the the limits that you have and, and just the additional costs that are added on to when you're starting to chop that up into little pieces of a container. Um, it is really overwhelming. And so that's, I think, been the, the biggest challenge for me is to really kind of kind of come to a balance to where I feel like I can really support the roasters um, that are limited by their buying power um, in order to kind of have some of the same, um, you know, it, it, the, the same intention with their buying uh, within those limitations.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, that's a uh, the logistics side to it. Seems to be
1: Yeah. Good. Yeah. It, yeah. And just the fact that like, you know, it's like a disadvantage for smaller roasters um, just because of the size that they are, because coffee literally moves in full container loads of coffee. So, you know, how do you, how do you balance that out um, for small roasters um, in order for them to, to be able to be just as impactful and effectual with their, their buying power um, as somebody who's larger.
2: What kind of margin difference is it when you're buying one pallet versus an entire container on average? Like what does that do from a margin standpoint?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's hard because it's, it's not just the margin of what we're making. Um, because you know, it can be anywhere like a, a, a typical kind of the difference from getting coffee. We buy coffee. it's called FOB free on board. So when an exporter puts it on a ship, and, you know, we basically, that's when we pay for it. So we are fronting the cash for it. So the more expensive a coffee is, the, the more it costs to finance it. Um, so when you're buying like a micro lot that's $7 a pound, um, you know, the, the the import cost might be twice as much, but the vast majority of that is just the interest on the cash that you have to front for that coffee, as opposed to a coffee that costs half as much. Um, and then, you know, the freights are, have been all over the place. So that's been a super crazy, like, thing um and then all the way down to like when you're at the like these are all the little nitty gritty details right. that add up that make things so much more expensive so if you have a pallet of coffee at the warehouse and you are picking different coffees to put on that pallet two bags of this four bags of that one bag of that they charge you a surcharge for kind of having those multiple SKUs on it mm-hmm. um same way if you have uh when you are importing rather than a, a full container that's one lot of coffee if there's multiple lots that are in that same container um that are you know different individual farm lots things like that they they charge you surcharges for unloading it when you have all the different marks so you know you can literally the difference between the FOB price on a full container of just sort of standard coffee meaning it's all the same um, the, the entire shipping container you know it might be something like you know maybe 40 cents 50 cents to get it from FOB, to be able to have it like in store in the warehouse to sell to you guys, where if you, you know, up to like a dollar or a dollar 50, based on all those other little operational costs that are on it. And then there's also little things like if you, um, you know, some people have bigger warehouse capacity. So if, if you can store, you know, multiple pallets of coffee at your roasting location, then you can get economies of scale by bringing in You know, more coffee at one time. Where if you're just bringing it one pallet at a time, or even one bag at a time, you're sort of paying so much just for the logistics.
2: I guess, like, since we're a newer roaster and we're a little bit smaller, what is what is that next economy of scale like? You know, when you go from getting one pallet to is it five pallets where you start to really break through and see some, you know, gains there where you're not ordering such small amounts. When does it make sense from you as a broker when you start to see these larger order comes in come in that it actually really starts to save you guys money and you can pass that on. What are those volumes just to give people that are starting out and roasting? Like, you know, we go from one pallet, we get to five, we save a couple bucks. We get to a container, we save a couple bucks. How does that break out?
1: Um, that's a really good question. Um, there's some of it depends that one of the biggest variables is the trucking. Um, yeah. So being able to bring, uh, you know, so as far as if it's like, three pallets versus four pallets versus five pallets. I don't know if there's a a specific break point even where it really makes a, a big jump forward. I think any I think anytime you can do a bigger chunk is better. Okay. Um though I have to say like I have had situations where I've had you know a roaster that you know bought like four pallets of coffee at a time and let's just say like two pallets were a were Colombian and two pallets were an Ethiopian. Um, I've had situations where like the warehouse doesn't you know they don't release or like you know the trucker shows up they only get three of the four pallets i've had coffee that one of the pallets got delivered somewhere else so i also sometimes you know when you have um you know it's almost sometimes like once you kind of get you almost need a, enough for it to be like a bigger chunk where like they don't lose little bits and pieces so i feel like probably getting up to at least like three or four pallets is when you kind of start to see a little bit better better chunk. Um, but then again, once you kind of get up to then if you're buying like a half a container of coffee or like 20 pallets of coffee, um, you know, it then gets a little bit more complicated because then if they're um, you know, it's almost maybe better to do a full, a full truckload at that time because you also just your coffee is all contained and it comes directly to you. So then it almost, you know, it, 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 there's so many different little breakpoints, it, it's it's right. really hard. And there's so many variables. Like that's been another part that's been overwhelming is all the factors that play into what the cost are for, for the domestic side of it, for once the coffee's even at the warehouse here in the US and roasters are trying to get it to their facility. Um, just you know, f- folks that maybe don't have adequate space for larger trucks to deliver. Um, mm-hmm. Like they have to go down an alley to get to the back of where the roastery is or something like that, or just you know, they don't have a loading dock so they need to have a lift gate. So if there's not availability of trucks with the lift gate, like all of these little obstacles, I think that just make it so challenging for smaller roasters. Um, you know, that, that's definitely a big frustration that I have. It, it seems like it should be simpler.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like in not. coffee, and you could say this about a lot of professions, it seems like in coffee there is variable overload. And that same thing that comes in in the roasting process of like, there's so many variables to keep control of is which ones can we control? Which ones do we not have control of? And how do we maintain that? So it is yes. interesting to hear it from your perspective of, it's the same for at the roastery and there's these a uh, whole nother, pack of variables that you have to deal with that are just ever changing sometimes too. Yes. And um, that
1: none of us really have any control over. We're just right. kind of at the mercy of the trucking companies. <laughs> right.
0: Right. Um, and, but it is, it is nice having like, if we were to try to buy our own coffee, import our own coffee, I mean, you help us out so much in companies like Sukafina, just because we are dealing with enough variables on our own to where this is where importers are like beautiful for us. Cause Um, As a small roastery, we wouldn't be able to to do it without you guys. So you want to deal with
1: customs brokers? Do you want to deal with?
0: (laughs) And we took a class at Coffee Fest. Connor and I did of how to become your own uh, importer, how to do your own trading, and instantly we're like, okay, Uh, we'll just stick with our importers for now, and um, maybe revisit this when we have scaled. I feel
2: like everything (laughs) in coffee too is you ask like a very direct question, like how does this work, and it's like. Well, that's really complicated is the way yep. every conversation yes. starts out. It's yes. like, there's a lot of variables. And then the X, Y, and Z And it's just it's is no yeah. matter what you're in, it's just like, there's so many moving parts to, yes. you know, get it from point A to point B and so many governments and so many things involved that it's just never a simple answer. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Well, cause they're not, you know, all roasters are different and all, you know, and coffees are different or yeah. like different origins are different and all, all of those, all of those variables compound. Um, and so, what's like you said, I, I, there's things that definitely seem like they should be a very straightforward and easy answer, um, but unfortunately, they're not. And, you know, but to some extent, I think that's why we love coffee. It is so diverse and it is so different and it is so unique. Um, and, you know, just one more thing about the whole shipping thing. Somebody said this to me once, um, you know, when there was just like during COVID and the lack of shipping containers, not a coffee specific thing, but we heard of all the supply chain disruptions you guys may have one of my favorite was there was a f- it was an image there's like different softwares that track all the shipping containers and you can see the like um like literally an image with it looks like a little video game with all the little boats on it and stuff and it was like a photo i think it was outside of shanghai there was like they had gone into another lockdown and it was like a parking lot and it was like just this crazy photo is just a mass of little colored dots and it's just like you want to know where your shipping container is it's somewhere in this mess there. and um you know one of the things that you know somebody said this to me because we negotiate contracts with, again, there's another thing with economy of scale. If you guys want to buy one container of coffee from Guatemala and you would contact shipping containers and you would get a quote for a freight, um, you know, we're we're bringing in a whole bunch of containers from, from Guatemala so we can negotiate like a, a discount rate because of a volume discount, essentially. Just like if you're buying one bag of coffee versus a whole bunch. So that's why we're able to sometimes get a better freight rate than somebody who would just be buying one, one container of coffee directly from origin. Um, and so we have these negotiated rates, but what was happening during the kind of peak of all the supply chain disruptions is shipping companies were like, well, yeah, but I can I can give that slot away to somebody else and make twice as much money. So they were just, they weren't, they weren't honoring contracts. Mm. So the only way that we could get coffee shipped was if we would pay like the spot rate, which was always significantly much higher than what our negotiated rate was. And I remember having this conversation with somebody on my team and she says, well, yeah, but the thing is, is coffee is really heavy. Like a shipping container of coffee is like forty-two thousand pounds. Where if you have a shipping container that's full of, you know, pillows, something that's really light, it's just like that's what they want on their boat. And so, you know, she was also making this point of like coffee is always at the end of the line because it's just a pain in the butt to move.
0: First thing to go. And I, right.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, I, I'm curious of that also. Kind of when you think about it, when you're dealing with logistics of getting a pallet of coffee from the warehouse in the U.S., are trucking companies thinking the same thing? Like, oh God, this pallet of coffee. The bags are like lumpy and they can shift and slide and they're just like a pain. They're so heavy and a pain in the butt to deal with. Um, You know, so I'm curious how much that uh, influences when, you know, if a trucker's standing there and like, I need to leave something behind, what am I going to leave behind? Is coffee the first thing you're going to leave behind?
2: Yep. I don't know. I mean, Sukafina getting to into trucking that. to control that part of the supply chain.
1: <laughs> I yeah. wish. You know, we, we've talked about That's this your new project, well, of, huh? <laughs> well, it's interesting cuz I you know, we work with these trucking brokers, so the whole idea is um when when Sukafina manages the trucking for you guys, what we do is we we have multiple trucking brokers and we'll get various quotes from them in theory to be able to get the most competitive quote for you guys. Um and you know, one of the things that we've talked about was you know, some roasters, they'll, they'll, they manage their trucking because they negotiate with a trucking company, like a, a set rate for themselves and they, they manage it. And, um, you know, one of the things is, you know, for us to be able to try to negotiate, we don't have lanes that we're doing all the time. We have clients spread all throughout the U S and Canada. So there's not like particular lanes that we we would have to negotiate, you know, to try to do it by region. Do we try to do it? So it's definitely something we've tried to investigate how we could be more effective and how we could find efficiencies for our clients, um, with doing it differently. And, um, you know, it's, it's definitely been a very hard nut to crack.
0: Yeah. Well, you've given us a good perspective. I'll say that. And, um, cause I know a lot of people ask me all the time is like, how does this even work? Um, and even from our side, we're learning every day about the process of buying coffee and, and interacting with you guys. Um, I do have a question about, it's kind of just on the fly question is what are your, some of your hobbies outside of coffee? You got, you got anything that comes to mind <laughs> Give people an idea? Um, Cause I feel like when I think of you, Stacey, I think coffee. That, yeah. That's that's what it's been for. Got anything that comes to mind? You a hiker, what do you like to do for fun? I-
1: I do have a life outside of coffee, Um, not much of one. Um, I always joke that like I worked from home and I realized that I did not have much of a social life. So the pandemic didn't really change my day to day. (laughs) And I don't know if that was luck or a little sad, but um, I like to think it was luck. Um, I live in Colorado. Um, I lived in Vermont for a very long time. And I've now been in Colorado for about um, seven years. I live kind of just outside the foothills. And so I'm very lucky to have access to just amazing trails. And so I I do spend a lot of time in mountains. I'm a a very advent trail runner. Um, I I have a disease. I just go out for like hours upon hours upon hours with my friends um, and do really like stupid races that are not things any sane person would do. And I obsess about people like Courtney DeWalter and just the amazing human feats that that her and folks like her can do. Um so yeah that's that's that's, that's my awesome. sad life outside of coffee is running. oh it sounds great. <laughs> so what's great.
2: the longest run you've done?
1: Um I I had my first DNF um uh, actually last month. I was trying to do a 50 miler and uh missed a cutoff. We got stuck in a crazy mountain snowstorm and I was like trudging along in inches of sleet and frozen mud and it was Horrible. Um, so the farthest I've done, I've done um, a few 60ks. Um, so about 38 miles is where I've kind of topped out. I um, I, you know, after my DNF, I was like, yeah, I'm done with ultra running. I'm just going to stick to like marathons and below
2: and just kind of regular oh. trail adventures.
1: I'm already itching. I'm already itching for it. Yeah. This is
2: one thing i This is the other weird thing that I've noticed with people that are really into coffee is they tend to have like these kind of extreme hobbies. Is that something you've noticed? I'm a try, like I do. I like triathlons. Blake likes rock climbing. Like we've just noticed that people that are in coffee roasting tend to have these unique, um maybe more intense hobbies to maybe balance out the intenseness of what this is. I don't know. Maybe Um, I never thought about that before. Your hobbies because this is kind of like, you know, a lot when you're at work, working all these variables and all these things that we deal with all day long. And then we go and we, torture ourselves for another two hours with our, you know, our fun stuff.
1: I think we just need to burn off the uh the excess caffeine that we all consume.
0: <laughs> I think, there you go. That, I think you're on to something there. Absolutely. Well That's yeah, funny. this is this has been great. I really enjoy um this conversation and thank you so much for hopping on. Kind of you got any other final questions or you have any questions for us, Stacey? Cause um we really enjoyed this.
1: Yeah, no, you know, I thank you guys so much for kind of inviting me in, and I, I love these avenues, you know, definitely kind of, I, I tend to be an oversharer. And I think that, um, you know, from the, the import side, I think a lot of people look at it as this kind of like impenetrable curtain that controls things. And I feel like the more we can kind of share information about what we do and, um, you know, kind of what our contribution is to the supply chain, I think is it's really great. So just thank you guys so much for the opportunity. Um, yeah, I mean, just really just um, yeah, can't think of it. Oh, my dog apparently has a question. Um, <laughs> can't really think. Can't really think of anything else that um that I have for you guys right now. Um, but yeah, just thank you guys so much for the time and the opportunity to share.
0: Absolutely, and yeah. we'll be in contact. Obviously, correct. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. thank you very much for you know all the help you've done and and finding us coffees and working with us as we build our roastery and we start to up our volume. Um you know, I've really appreciated the information you've given us and how freely you've shared. So I just want to say thank you and and you know we appreciate your time very much.
1: thank you. yeah, if you guys get any questions or any follow up um you know information that people need from from after this podcast, uh, please reach out' I'm, I'm happy to delve into anything further for anything that comes out of it.
0: And do you have a social media that you want to plug real quick, uh, Instagram, or you post stuff on or? That looks good, it but <laughs> <laughs> if it's, a, if it's, it, a
1: it's basically all just pictures of me running, which is kind of weird. <laughs> if, it's
0: personal, then, if it's a personal, we won't plug it. But a lot of people have yeah. like work. Um, yeah. Um.
1: Yeah. So, so, SukaFina Specialty. We do have a Facebook page. We do have an Instagram account. Um, I believe it's just SukaFina Specialty. Um, you know, we do have. We're in the the U.S. Um, and kind of we have our our European office and then our our, our Asia Pacific office. And so it it we don't have separate ones for the individual regions. So we we do sort of for all. All the destinations have kind of one social media. So SukaFina specialty um, cool. that will, will cover uh, both North America and the other destinations that we work with. If you have any international listeners.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm sure we'll get a <laughs> couple, uh, you'll get a couple more followers from some, from our listeners, but thanks yes. again, Stacey. And um,
1: great.
0: hope you have a great day. Thanks again for
2: this.
1: Thank you very much. You guys take care.
2: Thanks Stacey. I
0: hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Stacey. Her story is very cool and I'm sure a lot of you guys found it interesting. Um, I'm really grateful that she was able to come on and she gave us the time because I know a lot of you guys will will enjoy it. Um, so thanks again, Stacey. In other notes, the holiday season has kicked off and I think it's officially hot coffee season. It is underway. Um, so we just released a holiday blend in shop that's going to try to meet that hot coffee need. It's called our Reindeer Reserve Blend. Uh, we spend a lot of time formulating the blend percentages and the origins and it's ended up being three different Columbia coffees that we have. The majority percentage is our Halua Washed, and that's a nice earthy coffee with some floral notes. And it's paired with a smaller percentage of two experimental Colombias that have a nice fruity note to them. And together they complement each other really well. Tasting notes on that that we gathered were apple pie, cola, and orange blossom. So if you haven't tried that yet, you should definitely give it a shot. I think it is a a really good blend um, that I would recommend. So this is also available for online ordering as well. So feel free to um, look at that as a whole bean option. Well, I hope you guys have an awesome holiday season. Um, And remember, drink some hot coffee, it's getting cold. See you guys next time.